you're here today. We're going to look today at a table in the Old Testament. There are a lot of references of people gathering at a table, of course, communion table, the Lord's Supper, but there's a lot in the Old Testament as well, and we're going to look at one of those tables today. We're going to be in 2 Samuel 9, when the king calls, 2 Samuel 9. I'm happy to hear some pages turning. That means you've brought a real printed Bible. And I'm happy to see some faces glowing with a, a digital Bible as well. Um, 2 Samuel 9, when the king calls. David is king of Israel at this point, but it hasn't been an easy ascension to the throne for David. He had to face a bear. He had to face a lion. He had to face Goliath. He had to face the Philistine army, not to mention running for his life, hiding in a cave, being in a cave and watching King Saul pee. Hasn't been easy, Pastor Dylan. You can't take some things out of your mind when you see them. It was not a pretty road for David to get to the throne, but God had chosen him, God had called him, and at a young age, David knew that one day he would be king. Now, David's best friend was King Saul's uh, son, Jonathan. Jonathan had David's back and protected him uh, while his father, King Saul, was trying to kill David. Back in 1 Samuel 1.20, David and Jonathan make a covenant together. And the covenant is that David would never cut off kindness from Jonathan's family. Even though King Saul was his enemy, even though King Saul wanted David dead, Jonathan and David made a covenant that David would, David would always remember that family and be kind to them. So Jonathan says in, in 1 Samuel 20, verses 14 through 15, Jonathan says to David, but show me unfailing kindness like the Lord's kindness as long as I live so that I may not be killed. And Jonathan says to David, continuing, do not ever cut off your kindness from my family not even when the Lord has cut off every one of David's enemies from the face of the earth. So David agrees and the covenant is made. David and Jonathan have this vow together. And David says, I will always remember your family and be kind to them. So now we fast forward to 2 Samuel chapter 9, which is where we'll be this morning. Both King Saul and Jonathan now have died. King Saul and Jonathan are dead. And David is now ascended to the throne. He is now King David, 2 Samuel 9. Now, I'm going to go back and forth between King David and our king, King Jesus. And we're going to see some parallels in this passage. And over and over again in the Old Testament, we see that they are, the prophets and the, and the history there is always pointing to Jesus, to his message, to his work, to his purpose, and 2 Samuel 9 is no exception. This morning we'll be looking at King David and his relationship with someone who brought nothing to the king's table. We're going to look at one who had nothing to offer the king. And yet, the king calls him. And his life is turned completely around. So let's look at when the king calls. What happens when the king calls? 
Well, first, when the king calls, the king keeps his word. So now we're in 2 Samuel chapter 9, and we are at the first verse through 3. David asked, oops, sorry, good. Uh, David asked, is there anyone still left in the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Remember, he's the king now. Now there was a servant of Saul's household named Ziba. They summoned him to appear before David, and the king said to him, Are you Ziba at your service? He replied. The king asked, Is there no one still alive from the house of Saul to whom I can show God's kindness? Ziba answered the king, There is still a son of Jonathan. He is lame in both feet. Now years have gone by, Saul is dead, Jonathan is dead, and who is the only one left that knows of the covenant between Jonathan and David? David, of course, and God. And David makes the conscious decision as king to keep his word, to honor his covenant and ask, is there anyone left in King Saul and Jonathan's family that I can show kindness to. The easy thing would have been to say, nobody knows Jonathan's dead, and King Saul was a horrible enemy to me. Why should I keep that promise I made? The easy thing is to break the promise. But when the king calls, the king keeps his word. There is no one that knows what David covenanted with Jonathan. And yet, the king is going to keep his word, period. He said he would do it, the vow that he made, and he has done it. There's no expiration date on when the king tells you something that he's going to do. There's no expiration date when King Jesus says, I am the God that heals. There's no expiration date. He doesn't say, oh, just kidding. But the king keeps his word, and we see that in 2 Samuel 9. And to parallel with what our God says in Numbers 23, 19, he says, God is not human that he should lie, not a human being that he should change his mind. Does he speak and then not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? That's one of my favorite verses. Our God keeps his word. The word of the king is 100% trustworthy, 100% of the time, period, end of story. Now, not knowing if anyone was alive from Saul's household, uh, David calls for the servant Ziba, who comes. And Ziba answers in verse 3 and says, There is still a son of Jonathan. He is lame in both feet. Now what happened to, I'll tell you who it is, Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, what happened to him was after his father and grandfather were killed, the nurse, when, when Mephibosheth was just five years old, scooped him up at five years old and ran for protection and dropped him. And now he is lame in both feet. What's happened to him is not of his own doing. That feels familiar to some of us, doesn't it? 
someone dropped him, did something that now has impacted him for the rest of his life. But you'll notice when Ziba answers David, he doesn't say, oh yes, there's a son of Jonathan, his name is Mephibosheth. He doesn't say that. He says, oh yeah, there's a son of Jonathan, but he's lame in both feet. He points out the deficiency of the one. He says, there's one, but he's lacking. He's not who you want at your table. He has issues. He's damaged. He's not really worth it. He's got a problem that is irreparable and irrevocable. He's got something that hinders him, that cripples him. Too often we're labeled, aren't we? And reminded of our deficiencies, our issues, and allow that to hold us back and to cripple us. But not this time. Not when the king is looking for someone to show kindness to. When the king calls, the king keeps his word. Secondly, when the king calls, the king sends a personal invitation. Verses 4 and 5. David says, where is he? Ziba answered, he's at the house of Makar, son of Amiel, in Lodabar. So King David had him brought from Lodabar, from the house of Makar, son of Amiel. David asks where he is, where's his whereabouts, and he sends for him. The king was not looking to call a whole group. The king was sending a personal invitation for the one. The one who he was going to show his favor to. A lot of times we get lumped into a crowd, right? We're the children's ministry volunteers. Wouldn't you like to be in that crowd? or we're the mission church congregation, or we're the graduating class, we're kind of lumped together, or we're the staff at the church. But King David was asking, is there anyone, and sends the messenger to find that one and invites that one to himself. We think of the parable of Jesus in the 99 and 1 where he's looking for that one lost sheep, that one that he wants to call to himself and dine with. The king is all about a personal relationship, a one-on-one relationship with him. It's a personal, intimate invitation. Secondly, when, uh, thirdly, sorry, when the king calls, the invitation demands a positive response. So let's keep going. So King David had him brought from Lodabar, from the house of Makar, son of Amiel. When Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David, he bowed down to pay him honor. I can only imagine what Mephibosheth must have thought when the servant came and said, Mephibosheth, the king is asking for you. The king is calling for you. His first response, I'm sure, would have been, I'm doomed now. He's finally caught up with me. He remembers that my grandfather wanted him dead. And now I'm going to pay the price of my grandfather's actions. Mephibosheth has nothing to offer the king. Why would the king want someone like me? I ask myself that a lot, even this morning as I was leaving. 
John says, you okay? I said, yeah. I just don't know how I got here. It's the mercy and the kindness of the king. Isn't it, Pastor Kathy? To get where the king wants you, to get what the king has for you, you have to go from where you've been and what you've known to where the king is calling you. Mephibosheth has to leave and go to the, to the king. Excuse me. The invitation demands a response, and you have to move toward the king when he calls you by name. And so Mephibosheth starts the journey to the king. He has been outside the presence of the king for his whole life. And now he has been called to come to the king, to draw near to the king. He comes just as he is. If Billy Graham was alive, they would have played just as I am. He comes deficiency and all, issue and all, the thing that's labeled him his whole life, the issue. He, he comes and he brings it all and he comes into the presence of the king. So when the king calls, the king keeps his word. The king sends a personal invitation. The king demands a positive response. And when the king calls, he calls you by name, not by deficiency. The servant didn't say his name. He just said, yeah, he's the one with the lame feet. He's the one with the depression. He's the one with the cancer. He's the one whose kids are off doing God knows what, God knows where. That's how the servant talked about Mephibosheth. But when the king calls, he calls you by name, not by issue or challenge. Verse 6, when Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David, he bowed down to pay him honor. And David's first words, when he sees the grandson of the man who wanted him dead. He doesn't go, aha. That's not what our king does. David said, Mephibosheth. And his response was, at your service. Mephibosheth comes to the king, and the king's first word to Mephibosheth is his name. When you come to King Jesus, he doesn't have a laundry list of all the things that have happened to you wrong. But he calls you by name. He says, Marty. He says, Jasper. He says, Eileen. He calls you by name. He doesn't rehearse all the things you've done wrong. He doesn't point, David, doesn't point to Mephibosheth's legs and go, Oh, too bad for you, huh? That's what people do. That's not what our king does. And that's not what King David did. The king says Mephibosheth with kindness, compassion, and with favor. Fifthly, when the king calls. When the king calls, the king calms all your fears. Verse 7, the beginning of verse 7. After he calls his name, Mephibosheth, Mephibosheth bows down. The next thing he says is, don't be afraid. Mephibosheth didn't need to be afraid in the presence of the king. The king had called him to himself 
to show him favor and mercy and compassion. It's said that there's 365 times in the Bible where it says, fear not or do not be afraid. One for every day of the year is leap day. I guess you've got to repeat one. I don't know. But when the king calls, he calms all your fears. There's no fear when we're right with the king. Six, when the king calls, the king is kind and restorative. Continuing in verse 7, he says, Don't be afraid. I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather, Saul. When we answer the king's call, when he calls us and we come forward from where we were to where he is, kindness and restoration go hand in hand with the king. He doesn't go like this. He goes like this. Think of it. Joel 2.25 says, I will restore to you the years that the locust has eaten. When the king calls... He is kind and restorative. Ask Job. Right? Ask anyone that's come to Jesus. He's been kind and restorative to us, our king, hasn't he? Seven. I guess you're wondering, how many points is she going to have, Lynn? Well, at least seven. If I told you 23 before you sat down, then no, it's not 23. Seven, when the king calls, the king has a seat for you at his table. Think of it. When the king calls, he has a seat for you at his table. The end of verse seven says, David says to Mephibosheth, and you will always eat at my table. If I was Mephibosheth, I would have said, are you kidding me? Don't you know who I am? Don't you remember history? Don't you know what my grandfather did against you? Don't you know the sins that were committed against you? But there was a seat at the king's table for the grandson of David's enemy. Think of it. There's a place card with Mephibosheth's name on it. When you come into the reception room, you're like looking, and you see, oh, there it is, uh, John and Linda Shrek, table number 12, right under the speaker or sound system. <laughs> Always happens to us. No, not for Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth, he gets his place card, and it says Mephibosheth, however you spell that. Table number the king's table. We get to eat at the king's table. The head table. Deuteronomy 28.14 says that we are the head and not the tail. There's abundant supply at the king's table. Anything Mephibosheth needed, the king could supply. The king could pass it to him. The provision was more than enough. Every need supplied at the king's table. He didn't deserve any of it. The king had provided it all and had paid the price for it. Mephibosheth had been dropped as a five-year-old. He was an outcast of society. He was labeled. 
He would have had an IEP probably if he had been in school today. He had a lineage that was less than stellar. He was never in the in crowd. He came to the table, issues and all, because the king had invited him. And the King David reiterates again in verse 10, saying, Mephibosheth will always eat at my table. This isn't a one-and-done thing when we come to the king. When we come to King Jesus, he says, okay, now we're just getting started. I have more for you. I'm going to use you. I'm going to be kind and restorative to you. It's a continual daily encounter from Mephibosheth and King David. When it's mealtime, you better believe Mephibosheth showed up, issues and all, to the king's table. And there was King David, ready to make things happen for him. Think of the conversations they had at the table, the communion they had back and forth. Think of it. What kind of conversation do you have with your king? Are you at the table regularly with the king? Do we sit in his presence every day? Mephibosheth did, because when the king calls, he answered the call. And the king had a seat for Mephibosheth at his table. Next, when the king calls, we come with humility. Mephibosheth, verse 8, bowed down and said, What is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? David said, Mephibosheth, don't be afraid. And then he says to him, You will always have a seat at my table. And Mephibosheth's reaction is not, Yeah, it's about time. Where you been? Jonathan, you know, my dad mentioned to me that there might be a covenant happening. What took you so long? No, no. Mephibosheth comes and he bows down and he recognizes amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Mephibosheth comes with humility, not with entitlement, not with, yeah, it's about time, not with, well, you know, King Saul was the king, then it should have fallen to Jonathan, and then Jonathan was dead, so then it should have fallen to me. That would have been the natural sequence for Mephibosheth to be king. But Mephibosheth comes with humility to the king's table. I don't deserve it. I didn't earn it. We don't earn a seat at the king's table. The king extends his hands and he says, come, sit at my table. The king paid the price for our seat at his table. It's not, hey, look at me and look what I do. It's, hey, look at the king and look what he has done for me. And lastly, when the king calls, you become one of his children. Verse 11 and 13. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. And Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem because he always ate at the king's table. He was lame in both feet. 
Now, right before verse 11, I skipped a couple of verses. That's where King David says to Ziba, the servant, okay, we're going to give all the things, all the land, all the possessions that were of King Saul's household, they're going to now be transferred over to Mephibosheth. He gets all the blessings. So that's happened. He was kind and restorative. And now when the king calls, Mephibosheth becomes one of his children. He's treated like one of the king's sons. Think of it. From where he was to where he is now. And yet, while he is sitting at the king's table, it says he's still lame in both feet. They make a point there of saying it. He always ate at the king's table, but he was lame in both feet. How we wish when we meet with the king, he would take away our affliction, that he could change our history, that we, he could change what that person did to us, that we were dropped. They should have treated us better. That parent shouldn't have left you. That employer shouldn't have let you go, whatever it might be. But when we're in the king's presence, he doesn't necessarily change the circumstance, does he? But when we show up with the king, it's more about our relationship with the king than what he can do for us. It can't be, I'll be with you, King Jesus, if you heal me. I'll be with you, King Jesus, if you provide this job for me. It has to be, here I am, issues and all, crippled legs and all, crippled legs and all, because I just want to be in the presence of the king. And sometimes those scars, those issues, remind us of what the king has brought us out from and where we are today. I'm going to ask Eddie and the team to come on up. The invitation is for you today. The king, King Jesus, is calling you to himself that he might pour out his kindness in you, on you, and through you. So when the king calls, the king keeps his word. When the king calls, he sends a personal invitation for you. When the king calls, he expects a positive response. He, it's his will that none should perish, but all should come to the saving knowledge of Christ. When the king calls, he calls you by name, not by issue, not by short, shortcoming, not by diagnosis. He calls you by name. When the king calls, he calms all your fears. The king is the prince of peace, and he calms all our fears. When the king calls, he is kind and restorative. I stand here as exhibit A, that he has been kind and restorative to me. He has been the father to the fatherless for me. He has kept his word. When the king calls, the king has a seat for you at his table with your name on it, reserved. You're at the A table. I heard recently that there's a new app that you can 
reserve a table at a restaurant, but then you can pay an extra fee to reserve a particular table at that restaurant. So if it's your anniversary, John Shrek, and you want the table by the window at this really expensive restaurant, you can use this app for these restaurants in the city. I don't remember the name of the app though, so I'm doomed. But you can pay a fee. It's said anywhere from $20 to $100. And you can reserve, I'm worth it, I heard that. Who, who was that, you? I wanted to blame Dylan, but it was John. But you can reserve that table, particular table, for this extra surcharge fee. Well, let me tell you, the king has a seat for you at the best table in the house. And there's no surcharge. He paid it all. When the king calls, we come with humility. We've never arrived. I don't care how long you've been serving King Jesus. We come to him every day with humility. And we don't say, look what I've done for you today. But we say, Jesus, thank you for what you've done for me. And lastly, when the king calls, the king calls you his child. The king takes us just as we are, baggage and all, whether we are crippled emotionally, in our thought life, in our mind, whether we have some crippledness physically or spiritually, no matter the issue, no matter the cause, no matter the diagnosis, no matter the matter. The king says to you this morning, I am calling you to myself. You are my daughter. You are my son. I have a seat at my table with your name on it, and it is the best table in the house. I am more than enough, King Jesus says, and I am willing and able to provide all that you need. And that includes our missionaries, Joe and Mary, to Italy. He has all that you need to get back on the field. Amen? I'm going to invite you to stand today. I have one more scripture for you before we sing. Titus 3. Have you read Titus lately? It's near the end of the Bible. Titus 3. 3 through 7 says, At one time we were Mephibosheth. At one time we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness, the king keeps his word, but when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, having a seat at the table, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. He is worthy of it all. Our King is worthy of it all. Job 10, verse 12. Job 10, 12. You gave me life.
and showed me kindness. And in your providence, watched over my spirit. Father, we thank you for the kindness of King Jesus. We thank you, King Jesus, for coming and taking our place that we might be joint heirs with you in heaven. We thank you that we have a seat at the table. We thank you, Lord, that every need is provided because of King Jesus. We thank you that you know our name, that we are not our issue. We are not our challenge. We are sons and daughters of the Most High God. We thank you that there's a new name written down in glory, and it's mine. We thank you, Father. We thank you for this passage of scripture that reminds us that you call us, you invite us, and that we are your children. Lord, I pray for those that are hearing the voice of Jesus calling today that have resisted saying yes to the king or that said yes to the king at one time and then they got up from their seat at the table and walked away. Father, I pray today they will say yes because the king is calling again and they will sit at the table of the king all the days of their life. We thank you, Lord. We could never thank you enough for all that you have done for us, for all that you are for us. May we love you and serve you in humility and with grateful hearts. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. The altars are open. Our prayer team and our pastors are coming forward. Limp on up like Mephibosheth did. Limp on up with your challenge and your prayer request and let us pray for you today. God bless you.